Take your Bibles, if you will, and open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Well, it's February 3rd, which means that January has has come and gone. Um, if, if I was going to be a month of the year, which I don't know if you ever thought about that, what month of the year would you be? Uh, but if I was going to be a month of the year, I think that January would be number 12 on my list as far as months. Because I think it's got to be hard being January. You know, it's in part because it follows Christmas and, and December. December is such an exciting time. And, you know, that's a pretty tough act to follow, to be January. Um, not only are your holidays not as exciting, not to mention the fact that in recent years they took the Super Bowl from you. It used to be in January. Now it's in February. It doesn't even have the Super Bowl anymore. Uh, but January is also one of the coldest months. It's pretty dreary. In fact, there's a scientist who did a study. I don't know how you can call this a study, but he did a study and decided based on the amount of sunlight and temperatures, average and things like that, that the third Monday in January is the most depressing day of the year. Um, so if you felt bad on that day, so did a lot of other people, I guess. <laughs> so I think January has got it, it kind of rough. It's a month that has to follow all the excitement of, of Christmas and, and December, but it's just characterized by the harsh, cold realities of life. But, you know, not every month can be awesome. And not every day can be Christmas. And I, I think even after the first Christmas, which was filled with excitement, after that a string of normal days happened. Jesus was born, the shepherds came, and then in the days that followed, life went on as it normally did for Mary and Joseph and the baby. And like most new parents, they probably didn't get a whole lot of sleep. They were changing diapers in the middle of the night or during the day. They were rocking the baby to sleep. Of course, they didn't have Jesus Loves Me as a song to sing, so I'm not sure what they sang, but they would rock the baby to sleep. I'm sure Mark can relate to these days now. But the days just kept coming. These were normal days. So the events of Christmas happened and then just a bunch of normal days. I think life feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? You wake up only to find that minutes later, it feels like minutes later, you're going back to sleep so that you can wake up and do that all again. <laughs> or, or maybe you wake up in the morning and the day drags along and then you go to sleep so that you can wake up and have another day drag along. You feel like you're stuck in a perpetual January of life, you know, and it gets it gets kind of disheartening or discouraging, maybe downright depressing. Now, I'm not trying to say that life is, is terrible. Uh, I'm just trying to say that there's something about life that, that kind of just keeps coming, you know, day after day. The days just keep, they, they keep coming. You cannot stop them. And it may not always be disheartening or discouraging, but it can feel like, like a drag and a drain sometimes. And January is a time where maybe we, we feel that. But here in Luke 2, we're going to look at verses 21 through 38. In these days that, that follow the birth of Jesus, we meet some wonderful, regular, everyday living characters. And I think that what I feel like God would have us to learn, at least this week from this passage, is this, that faithfulness in the everyday is blessed by God. Faithfulness in the everyday is blessed by God. 
you know, I, I think I often fall into the, the trap of thinking that, um, that it's the moments that are different from every day that, that are great. The, the moments that are, that are not mundane, these are the ones where God's really going to use them. It's, it's like going to a conference, which I'll, I'll do in the next couple of days. This is when God's going to really do something. Or, or the, the vacations or the quiet evenings. We don't have many of those around our house. Or, or the, the exciting seasons or, or days of the year. That, that this is when something is, is great is going to happen. And certainly they all have their, their place. But life, life in particular, I would say the Christian life, is, is lived just kind of in the mud and the muck and the mire of everyday living. It's just what we have to do. Our lives are made up of normal work days and normal school days and, and catch-up days and cleaning days. So rather than always looking for something different so that, that we can grow in Christ, so that we can see his hand in some unique way, I think what we need to learn, what I need to learn, maybe that's why I'm learning this from this passage, is that faithfulness in the everyday is blessed by God. Not just the special days, but the every day. Luke 2, 21-38 tells this amazing story about some people with everyday faithfulness that had this uh, great experience one day. That's one of my favorite stories in Luke, and so I think we just have to spend a couple weeks on it. Uh, we'll, we'll set the stage here, uh, and then next time we get together, we'll, talk, we'll consider more fully um, Simeon's words and the prophecy that he makes here. Um, I had high hopes of covering it all, but the prophecy is so deep. But it's, it's this beautiful prophecy that Jesus has come to unite and to divide. That's what he has come to do. Uh, I think that's worth taking a whole Sunday to think about. So we'll just look at the characters and kind of set the stage this week. But look with me. We'll read the whole story here in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. As we read through, there's there's five characters that we're going to kind of zero in on. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, and of course at the center of every Bible passage is Jesus. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, 
of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So as we think about the fact that faithfulness in the everyday is blessed by God, let's just consider these common everyday characters and their faithfulness that's found in this passage. And then we're going to see how in God's sovereignty these these four individuals come together around a month-old baby and see God's greater plan for them and for all of humanity. So first let's think about the parents of Jesus. Let's think about Mary and Joseph one more time. We'll see, we see this in verses 21 through 24, Joseph and Mary. Um, as we consider this, this wonderful God-fearing couple, we should notice, I think specifically in this passage, their obedience. Specifically their obedience to the law. There's a repetition going on here. If, if you look in verse 22, it says that time came for the purification according to the law of Moses. You look at verse 23, it references, as it is written in the law of the Lord, and then later on in verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. There's this emphasis that the law had certain things that Joseph and Mary were supposed to do and that they did them. The text begins by telling us that at the end of, of eight days, uh, Jesus was circumcised. This was just as God had instructed Abraham in Genesis 17. This is just as was stipulated in the law. And it's just as John was um, circumcised in the parallel account in Luke chapter 1. You remember we read about, about that whole scene. And as, as with John, the emphasis here is not simply on the circumcision, it's also on the naming. You remember that, that John was circumcised, but the main part of the story was his naming, that he was going to be called John. And what's it say here? It says he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the, there's emphasis on the fact that the law was, was obeyed, he was circumcised, but also that the word of the angel was obeyed. They listened. They named the child Jesus. Jesus meaning God is salvation. This name that had been given by Gabriel before the baby was even miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And here Joseph and Mary are faithful to obey the word of the Lord and of Gabriel. That name, Jesus, God is salvation. It continues to emphasize a message of these early chapters, namely that, that, that Luke is trying to emphasize this message of salvation, that the baby born in Bethlehem had been sent by God to be the Savior of the world and to offer peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. But not only were Joseph and Mary faithful to, to circumcise according to the law and to name Jesus according to the word of, of Gabriel, but, but it says here that they also, um, that they presented him to God as they were supposed to. It talks here in, in, in verse 22 that says the time came about for their purification. Now this would have happened 40 days. The events of this day are 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Now this is pretty amazing when you think about it. If Jesus was actually born on Christmas Day, which there's, we don't really know, but do you know what February 3rd is? It's 40 days after 
December 25th. So this kind of gives you a time frame. Uh, it would be today. So today would be the day that they would have gone to the temple. So it's it's been a good bit of time if you can kind of think about when Christmas was. That was a while ago. And so now we have, uh, that's the, this time right now. And so um, two things happen simultaneously. They go up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. doesn't matter where you're going because Jerusalem is up in elevation. So they go up to Jerusalem. And the first thing that happens is Jesus is presented to the Lord. Uh, you see that there. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then there's the quote, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This quote in verse 23 summarizes um, so a few different scriptures, and they're all rooted in Exodus 13. Exodus 13 falls between when the Israelites came out of Egypt and before they crossed the Red Sea. So that, that's the time period. And what God does here is he sets up the stipulations for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for the, the Passover, uh, which is the precursor to the Lord's Supper, which we will take this morning. And in that chapter, God says that since he rescued the firstborn, you remember they killed, uh, they were to kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, and then God would pass over and show mercy to them. And, and because of that, God says, all your firstborn are mine because I have ransomed them, I've rescued them. And so not just of, of children, but also of animals. And so if it says there in Exodus 13, if someone uh, in their, their, their herds, they have a donkey and they want to keep this donkey, even though it's the firstborn donkey, well, what they have to do is they have to kill a lamb in place of killing the donkey and they can redeem that donkey. Now what happens later on is God says, Instead of taking the firstborn, I will take the Levites. The Levites are mine. That's my tribe. And so you do not have to, to give me the, your firstborn. But the price of redemption stipulated in, in numbers is they had to give five shekels to the temple for the firstborn. So they would go and they would present the child, and they would pay at the temple five shekels to redeem that child back, to buy that child back in a sense. So that's kind of what's going on here. Now Luke doesn't make a huge deal out of this, and so neither should we. But I think it's interesting to point out. Isn't it interesting to think about this? Think about Mary and Joseph coming, presenting Jesus to God, and then redeeming him with this five-shekel price. It's just interesting to me, especially when you think about how later on Jesus would present himself to God as God's firstborn son, the son of God. And that in doing that, he would be the Lamb of God who would redeem not just the firstborn, but who would redeem all of God's children who would come to him by faith. And he doesn't redeem by paying some monetary ransom, but how does he do it? He lays down his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, I don't think we should emphasize it too much because Luke doesn't, but it is interesting to think about, isn't it? The purification that's spoken of here is actually probably Mary's purification, according to Leviticus, since she had had a baby. Uh, after this period of time, she needed to go to the temple uh, for purification, according to Leviticus chapter 12. Uh, typically, after the pregnancy, appropriate passage of time, they would go to Jerusalem and they would offer a lamb and, and one bird, whether it's a, a turtle dove or a pigeon. But the text here says that it, it's, it says in verse 24, it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So it's it's two birds that are mentioned. Uh, what we can draw from that probably is that, that Mary and Joseph didn't have the funds to have a lamb and a bird, and so there was a stipulation in the law where they could just provide 
two birds instead of a lamb and a bird. So again, we're pointing to the fact that this is just a common couple. They don't have a whole lot of money. They don't have enough to afford um, this this lamb. But notice this. In all of this, they're, they're obeying the law. You can think about the circumcision, the naming of the of the baby, the, present, the presentation of Jesus as, as they were supposed to, and Mary's purification. In all of this, the, their lack of money, their need to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, the questions that are surrounding the birth of Jesus, none of this keeps them from faithfully obeying God's commands. They obeyed God. They made the sacrifices necessary to follow his commands and the circumcision, the naming, the dedication of Jesus, and Mary's purification. No excuses were made, even though their life situation was difficult. I think it's easy for us to, to, to make excuses, to come up with reasons for why we can't follow God's word, but Mary and Joseph are an example to us of a couple who are caught up in the difficulties of, of everyday life, of just trying to meet their their budget, and yet they have made obedience to God the primary goal in life, that they will obey God's word. This is a non-negotiable in our lives. This is what we do. We follow what God has told us to do. There were no questions in their mind as to whether or not they should follow God's word, and their everyday faithfulness brings blessing into their lives. Not only does their everyday faithfulness bring blessing into their lives, but it brings blessings into our lives. You might say, well, how how does their faithfulness bring blessings to my life? Think about this. Jesus is required to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is required to fulfill the law. What's part of the law? These laws of of circumcision, of being presented at the temple. Uh, But he's at his parents' mercy at this point. Jesus um, can't sit up in the crib and say, hey, it's been eight days. It's time to go and be circumcised. He can't crawl to the temple and, and make these things happen. It's the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph that, in a sense, allow Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. It's the faithfulness of this couple in the everyday tasks of life that bring that brings blessings to them and then brings blessings to us who know the righteousness of Christ as our own. Now, Hopefully I'm painting this picture, but as I look at them, I just think about about young couples, about about young parents who are busy with life, who are trying to pay bills, who's try, who are just trying to do everything that's required in a busy life, but who are also fully devoted to Christ. This is just a regular couple. Joseph is just he's he's a carpenter. Mary's had her first baby. She's she's young. She's a teenager, and and they are seeking. To follow God, I think about young young families and how we should we should follow this example of making no excuses, but, but seeking to obey what God says in every situation in life. To, to have no reason to say, well, we can't do that because of this, that, and the other. And I pray that our church would be filled with just normal, everyday couples who do what God has called us to do in the everyday of life, and God brings blessing. He brings unique blessing because of this faithful couple so this everyday couple joseph and mary they're a wonderful example of obedience in the in the everyday of life let's look at the, another great character here and his name is simeon simeon verse 25 says now there was a man in jerusalem whose name was simeon verse 25 introduces him and says there was a man in jerusalem now i always thought for some reason that simeon was 
was a priest, I assume, because at the temple he's the one that takes up Jesus in his arms. But it doesn't say that. It says he was a man in Jerusalem. So put yourself, um, let's say, at the mall in St. Matthew's, okay, and you're sitting at that fountain there. We'll make it Christmas time so there's just tons of people. And as all the people are going by, just kind of see them all going by and pick out a man, a man of Louisville. That's Simeon. He's just a guy. He's just this guy who lives in the city, and he's he, he's just a man in Jerusalem. He's a normal, everyday guy. You know, and I also always thought that he was old, but he may not have been. It says in verse 29, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So we always say, oh, you must have been waiting a long time for this to come about. Now he's saying, God, now I can die. Well, I think he's just saying, God, this is all I care about in life, and so I can die happy now. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that he was old. So we, I'm not really sure, but what's very clear is that he was, he was normal, but also that he was, he was very unique. He was unique in the fact that he was walking with the Lord. The text tells us that he was righteous, which is how it describes Zechariah. Simeon lived a life of, of holiness and, and purity before God. He was above reproach. No one could look at Simeon and say, hey, you failed in this way. You are unrighteous in these things. Coupled with that, it says he was devout. This man was righteous and devout. He was devoted fully to God. His life was not committed to many things. His life was committed solely to God. He was devout in coming and worshiping at the temple. We even thinking about the fact that he was here at the temple on this specific day, um, that he was, he was there. He was devoted to the worship of God. And so God blesses him in unique ways. He was blessed in a unique way. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God, in some unique way, by the Holy Spirit, says, Simeon, you will live to see the Messiah. You will see him yourself. This is a promise that God gives him. And so he's, he's, he's righteous, he's devout. I think he's also he's expectant is what I would say then. He's, he's always looking. He knows God is going to do something. He's expecting that God is going to do something great with his life. And then in addition, you cannot miss the emphasis on the Holy Spirit here. This man was full of the Holy Spirit. It says, you see there, he was, the Holy Spirit was upon him, end of verse 25, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, this, this truth. And then it says in verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. Simeon was a man who was marked by the Spirit. His life was Spirit-controlled. He was filled with the Spirit. What an amazing guy, righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, expectant, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's just a normal guy. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary. He's not anything special in that sense. But rather, he's just a man who is walking with God in his daily life. He's righteous. He's devout. He's expectant. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I, as I think about about him, just this this emphasis on, on who he was, I think about just men and women, everyday people in, in our church and around the world who just, you go to work every day, week in, week out, do the different tasks that you're called to do, but 
in our in our hearts, in your heart, you're you're devoted to Christ. You say this is this is my you know I go to work, but that's that's not the focus of my life, and I have to do these different tasks, but that's that's not what I'm devoted to. What I'm devoted to is Christ, and and I'm devoted to, to purity of life and to holiness, and 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 they're filled with with the Spirit. I just think about people who are who are faithful, faithful with the days that God puts in front of them, whatever they might be. They're seeking righteousness. They're devoted, spirit empowered, living above, uh, 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 living living for Christ alone, not for wealth or for comfort. I think about women. We can apply it here. Women who who just take on the task. You take on the tasks of everyday life. You have to do these different things, but you do it in 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 purity, and you do it as worship to the Lord. You do it in the power of the Spirit. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? I think so often we put people, and you have to have some sort of a title. You have to be a priest. You have to be a pastor. You have to be a missionary. Those are the only people that are really blessed by God. Who's Simeon? He's a man. He's a man in Jerusalem. But he's righteous and he's devout. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit so much that God reveals this special message to him. It's just a beautiful thing to me that, that God blesses this everyday man in his everyday faithfulness. Because this is who Christians are, okay? We're not all set up on some sort of pedestal. We just have to live life. I don't know about you, but life just keeps coming at me, and I just have to live daily life. And God blesses faithfulness in that everyday life. So Simeon, this man in Jerusalem, looked at Mary and Joseph. Look at Anna now, briefly. Anna shows up in verse 36. Let's read about her. There was a prophetess. So Anna is a little bit unique. She's a prophetess. There weren't a whole lot of prophets in that day, so it's amazing to find this prophetess named Anna. She was a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Asher was one of the, the 12, you, you, you might call, missing tribes of Israel, but she had traced her lineage back to Asher. So she was advanced in years. So we know that Anna was old. I'm not sure about Simeon, but we know for sure with Anna that she is old. It says she had lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin. So she was married young lived with her husband for seven years, and then her husband died. And verse 37 says, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, it's it's hard to tell from the text. It either means that, that she um, lived with her husband for seven years, and then for the rest of her days until she was 84 years old, that she served in the temple. Or it means that she served in the temple for 84 years. So you take 84 plus the seven years that she was married, that's 91. But she didn't get married at one year old. She got married maybe at, you know, let's say 16 years old. So you're pushing, you know, 107, 108 possibly. But whatever it is, she's either 84 or 100 and something. She's advanced in years and she has devoted her life in the temple. What's it say then? It says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. I would have loved to just walk into the temple and sit down and talk with this woman, wouldn't you, Anna? Just what a, what a life she had. She was married young, and then her husband died, and then she just devoted her life to the Lord and went and lived in the temple for, for the rest of her life, serving the Lord with fasting and prayer. That's what her life was was marked by. I think that if Anna spent the rest of her life bitter at the Lord for the lot that she had, some people wouldn't blame her. They say, yeah, that's pretty rough. You got married young, and then you've been in the temple for the rest of your life. But instead, she said, it says in this passage that, that she devoted her life to the Lord. 
that she took what what God had given her and she gave herself completely to his service. In her devotion to the Lord, it says she lived a life of constant worship. How? Was she doing great and amazing things? Was she changing the world in, in all these real tangible ways? What's it say she did? She prayed and she fasted. That's what her life was, and it was worship to God. She devoted herself completely to Christ. Or to God, I should say. <laughs> when I think about Anna, I think about I think about people like my, my wife's great aunt Lucille, who passed away this past year. She had been a missionary in Chile for many years, and then she retired to Florida in this missionary village. It was, re, it was reserved for retired missionaries. What a great place to go. You could just go and talk to all these, uh, these old saints who had served on the mission field for years. And she spent her days there worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord in prayer. And she had this ministry where she would encourage people. She would, uh, she was in did ministry in Chile, so she, so she spoke Spanish, and she would write to prisoners, Spanish-speaking prisoners, in the prison system, and try to share the love of Christ with them. And that's what Aunt Lucille did for a large chunk of her life. She had been a missionary for some time, but then she spent the rest of her life worshiping the Lord in that way. She didn't waste her final years, but she devoted them to the Lord, just like, like Anna did. And God used her everyday faithfulness to bless many, just as God used Anna's everyday faithfulness. And so as I think about Anna, I think about, I think about elderly folks. I think about our, our non-eyes, that, that their life is not a waste because they can't supposedly contribute something really valuable to, to society, but they can spend their days worshiping the Lord in prayer and fasting and devotion to God in that way. Just everyday people. Think about senior citizens. Think about people living at, at Kindred. Are, are, they, are they not able to offer anything to God because they live in a nursing home? No, they are everyday people that God blesses their everyday faithfulness. And I think as God talks about, you know, sometimes that we see the people going into the kingdom before us that we just, we, we thought, oh, someone else would be at the head of the line. I sometimes think it's just these faithful saints, people like Anna, who have spent their life worshiping the Lord in prayer, who have been prayer warriors praying on behalf of us, and we don't even know it. And they are the ones that are faithful, that God blesses in unique ways. So... I think I'm probably taking a unique spin on this passage, but this is just what I feel like has, has jumped out to me. I look at this passage, I see this young couple, I see this middle-aged to aging man, I see an elderly woman, and they've all been faithful in the everyday things of life, and God in his goodness blesses them with a wonderful experience of his grace and with this beautiful hope of salvation. And I take that from that, the hope that, that whoever we are, Whatever stage of life we are in, whatever our lot in life is, if, if we are faithful, if we are faithful in the everyday tasks of life that God gives us, then he will bless us in amazing ways. It would seem that everyone wants to be someone else or to live somewhere else or to do something else. And the message often that's pumped into our brains is that we need to escape life. Joshua and I started reading through Ecclesiastes, and if I had to summarize one of Solomon's main points, I would say it like this. You can't escape life. You can't escape life, so you might as well enjoy it. He says everyone's got things they got to do, so you can either have a terrible attitude while you do it, or you can do it for the glory of God and enjoy it. You can't escape life, so you might as well enjoy it. We've all been given a number of days to live in the way that God has ordained, so let's use them for the glory of God. 
one of my good friends up in Chicago has this little sign in his house. It's just a piece of paper with red font. I think he printed it off on his computer. And it says this. It says, if nothing ever changes, then nothing ever changes. That's deep and profound, isn't it? It's not biblical. But if nothing ever changes, then nothing ever changes. You know, most of us, we want to grow in our walk with Christ. We want to know the blessings of God. We want to be a blessing to others. We want to be faithful with, with the days that God gives us. But everyday life just keeps, it keeps, it keeps coming at us. I just picture it like a conveyor belt with these boxes, and that's our days. And it doesn't stop. I mean, they just, they keep rolling by. Your days are coming. You know what tomorrow is? It's Monday, and it's going to be here in a few hours, and it's just going to roll by. And so often we say, you know what, I just need two more hours in my day. Or if I could just stop time for 24 hours, then I could get life figured out. Well, I hate to break it to you, but nothing like that is going to happen. Life will keep coming until Jesus returns or he calls us home. And if nothing ever changes, then... Nothing ever changes. And things aren't going to change because you go to some retreat or some conference or because you finally have a quiet moment or a weekend away or some special thing happens. Rather, they're going to change when we are faithful in the everyday. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged by the faithfulness of of these men and women. They just took the everyday life that God gave them and they said, we're going to be, Mary and Joseph said, we're going to be obedient to what God's called us to do. Simeon says, I'm going to be righteous and devout. I'm going to give my life over to the Lord and, and watch his spirit do things through me. And Anna says, man, I don't know, this is not what I expected when I got married seven years ago, but I'm going to devote my life to the Lord. I'm going to serve in the temple. I'm going to worship him with fasting and prayer. They took what God gave them, their everyday life, and they said, I can be faithful in this, then God will bless me. And so I want you to be encouraged that whoever you are, it doesn't matter. God, If God has called you as his child, then he can use you as you are faithful in the everyday tasks of life. And it may never be something big and, and grandiose that you get a statue somewhere in Louisville because of all the great things that you did. But if you are faithful, then God blesses you and God blesses others through you. So I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to be challenged? Are, are, you, are you committed to following God's will and ways in, in, in these things? I want you to be challenged to say, you know, I keep wanting things to change, but I don't do anything about it. But I want to be like Simeon. Oh, I want to be righteous and devout. I want to be expectant of God. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me. But then we don't change our lives. We just sit down in front of the TV and turn it on again and say, well, I'm not going to spend any time meditating on God's word. Or we say, oh, I want to be like Anna. I want to be a woman of prayer. But then we don't pray. Well, if nothing ever changes, guess what? Nothing ever changes. And everyday life is just going to keep coming by. And there's not going to be some epiphany moment where everything, oh, now, I can, now I'm going to change my life and I'm going to be useful for the Lord. No, Just do it now. Everyday life, faithfulness in everyday life, that's what God's called us to do. So is your life marked by by obedience to God's word like Mary and Joseph? Or have you come up with all the excuses for why God can't use you in the way that he used them? Is, is your life marked by righteousness and devotion to God and to his people? Or have you allowed impurity to slip into your life? Are you more devoted to your job or your school or to something else? More You've made that more important than your devotion to Christ? Or do you live your life in the power of the Spirit? Do you live your life in the power of the Spirit, or do you live your life in the power of your own flesh? Is your life one that's that's filled with worship to God through prayer 
and through fasting like Anna's was, or have you decided that those things are a waste? They're not worth the time and energy because they don't look productive. Nothing ever changes and nothing ever changes. But if we would commit, if we would commit every moment of our everyday lives to be given to God in faith and service and devotion, then he will bless us in amazing ways. It's not in the Decembers, it's not in the Christmases, it's in the Januaries that we live life. And there are moments of joy, and there are moments when amazing things do happen, but most of the time it's just everyday living. And that's okay, and God can take those moments and make them glorious and use the faithfulness in those moments. But in all of this, let me remind you, let me remind you that your faithfulness does not make you acceptable to Christ any more than Mary or Joseph or Simeon or Anna's faithfulness made them righteous before God. We don't, we don't come to God at the end of our days and find ourselves accepted because of what we did with those days. No, Jesus is the center of this passage. Joseph and, and Mary and Simeon and Anna, they're great examples, but they're not the center. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the one that they are all gathering around and, and waiting for. And Simeon's going to talk. We'll see. He talks about Jesus. It brings light and glory. He's come to be the consolation of Israel, the consolation for all those who are in a sad state of living with unforgiven sin. Jesus has come to show us the way of salvation, and Simeon alludes to, to how he's going to bring this, this light. He's going to bring light, but how is he going to do it? He's going to do it through the darkest day in human history. He tells Mary in this prophecy that a sword is going to pierce her heart, a reference to the coming crucifixion, and this is how Jesus brings salvation. He doesn't bring us salvation by us doing all these great things in our day. He does it by dying for us. It was on that day that Jesus, who was innocent, who had fulfilled the whole law, that he was tried and crucified as a criminal. And he had not done anything wrong, but he died because of the wrong that you and I have done, because of the ways that we do fail in our everyday life. The penalty for that sin is death. So Jesus comes and he says, I will die in their place, because I fulfilled the whole law. I've never done anything wrong. And we are saved not by what we do, but we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But I would say that if that's true, if that is how we are saved, then, then we, don't, we don't give Jesus our everyday life in a way to pay him back or to earn our salvation, but we do it because of what he has done. If he has done this for us, then surely we say, God, take my everyday, and you decide what those everydays look like, but whatever you give me, I will use it for your glory. I will be faithful in the everyday of life. And if he does that, if we are faithful in our everyday lives, then he fills us with unspeakable joy and blessing and uses us to bless others. So I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged just to look at these examples and say, you know what? I, I may never do something amazing and great, but if I'm faithful, then I'm doing something amazing and great. I'm walking in the way that God has called me. This is what God has given me to do, and I want to be faithful in these everyday tasks. I pray that you're challenged to, to walk in these examples. But I, I pray that you are not looking at them and saying, I'm going to make myself acceptable to God. We're only acceptable to God because of what Christ has done on our behalf.